You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words. So listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. This is A Million Other Choices and I am your host, Kim. I have a case for you today that polarized our great nation, and to those of you that are listening from outside of Canada, you might think a little differently about our polite and somewhat socialist country. First of all, Canada is a wonderful country, and I'm very proud to have been born and raised here. We have influences from Britain, America, and all of the countries that we have opened our immigration doors to. We were one of the first countries to legalize gay marriage, pot is legal here, and we have all the best natural resources and beauty. Traffic is nothing here compared to other countries, but we have a very dark history with how we have treated some groups over the years, the worst of which has always been Indigenous people who were here long before any of us. So before I start, there is a stereotype about Canada that I want to clear up. Guns. Guns are not illegal here. I know that some people think that or have heard that about Canada. They are just more highly controlled. There was a myth going around a few years ago that Canada, thanks to filmmaker Michael Moore, actually had more guns per person than the U.S., but that's not true. Where the U.S. holds 1.2 guns per person, just over 1 million registered and almost 400 million unregistered, Canada has 0.347 guns per person, 2 million registered and 10.5 million unregistered. So that is where that statistic comes from. 
here in Canada, you can hold a gun, but you have to have a license. And to get a license, you have to pass a firearm safety course and renew it every five years. You also have to be over 18, although you can apply for a minor's license as young as 12. Um, and then, of course, we have different classes of guns. Non-restricted, this is basically your standard shotgun or rifle strictly for wilderness protection. We have a lot of those here, anyone that hunts or hikes in the backcountry. And farmers, most farmers will have at least one firearm for coyotes or for wolves or whatever. Restricted guns, now this class includes handguns and you can apply for a license to carry and own these weapons as long as they're for target practice, part of a collection, or for use in your profession, such as being a police officer. And then prohibited weapons, which is a bit of a misnomer because you can actually apply to carry and own one of these as well. Um, this is things like sawed-off shotguns, handguns that are 32 caliber, automatic firearms, etc. You can continue to own these as long as they were registered in Canada before the Firearms Act, which was in December of 1998. And they can be grandfathered in as, as in they have been in your possession since before they became prohibited. Uh, you need a possession and acquisition license for that. So why do we still have 10 million unregistered firearms? Well, that's because we still have crime. We have gangs, we have drugs, and people that don't obey the laws, same as any other country. So now we're going to get onto some stereotypes that we don't talk about as much. Now we can pretend it doesn't exist and that we're all better than that, but the truth is there are assumptions made every day about Indigenous women and men. Uh, so I'm just going to put those stereotypes out there, and if it makes you uncomfortable, then maybe explore why it makes you uncomfortable rather than the fact that I'm saying it out loud. And one of the ones that you may not think is a bad thing is one of the stereotypes is that all Indigenous people are at one with the land and can tell you all kinds of colorful and wonderful folktales and stuff of that nature. And actually, that's not true. Just because your grandfather was from the Ukraine doesn't mean you can make a pierogi. Lots of Indigenous people live urban lives and aren't walking around in mukluks and headdresses. So let's talk about assumption number one. Indigenous people get a free ride here in Canada. They don't pay taxes and all of their housing and pretty much everything is free. They don't have to hold jobs or support themselves financially. This myth stems from the British North American Act of 1867, when the Canadian Parliament assumed fiduciary duty for Indigenous people and the lands reserved for Indigenous people. So what that means is that the federal government agreed to act as a trustee under the Indian Act, and that means that the government negotiated treaties. And these treaties were negotiated back in the day of Sir John A. Macdonald, like about 150 years ago, when Indigenous people were starting to realize that the government's goal was to remove them from their lands, get the natural resources, and construct railways across the entire country. So chiefs realized their way of life, which was self-sustaining until then, was going to be changing whether they liked it or not. So nowadays, all of the services that are normally provided to us non-Indigenous by our provincial and municipal governments, like our water, education, and infrastructure, are provided to reserved land by the federal government, and they've done a really crappy job of it. There's a shortage of housing, the water is almost always under a boil advisory, and generally conditions suck. Because back in 1867, what the hell was wastewater anyways? So we don't pay for Indigenous communities to live in the same standards of living that we live in off-reserved lands. 
Assumption number two, Canada gave Indigenous people all the good land and they are making a killing off of it and the natural resources. Reserve land is actually owned by His Majesty the King of England, but the Canadian government has the right to expropriate portions of the land for public utilities and infrastructure, you know, for the non-Indigenous people, without the consent of the nations that occupy them and most provinces hold subsoil rights. So band members don't own the minerals. Reserve land also doesn't include coastal waters and fishing licenses have to be applied for. Now, this is a good one. Indigenous people don't pay taxes. Actually, only status Indians are exempt from paying taxes and only under certain circumstances. Status Indians do not pay taxes on personal and real property that is located on reserved land and there is no employment taxes paid only if your employment is also on reserved land. To put this one in better perspective, less than half of all registered status Indians live on reserves, so less than 1% of Canada's population is exempt from taxes. Now let's get to the biggie, the one that nobody wants to talk about. Indigenous people are predisposed to alcoholism and substance abuse, and that is what leads to the overrepresentation of Indigenous people in our legal system, foster care system, welfare system, and, and homeless populations, as well as just general rates of crime. In other words, the old drunken Indian stereotype that just doesn't want to seem to go away. This stereotype and assumption is so ingrained in Canadian culture that I actually remember the media telling people that. Now, first of all, there is absolutely no scientific basis for this assumption. The color of a person's skin or their heritage doesn't increase your chances of diseases, except maybe for sickle cell anemia. Now, I will give you that there are high rates of alcohol and drug use, uh, heartbreakingly high rates of fetal alcohol syndrome uh, among Indigenous children, but let's be real here. The root causes go back to residential schools, the Indian Act itself, and intergenerational tra trauma not some genetic predisposition. So that, that kind of thinking has led to employers being reluctant to offer jobs, social workers that hover over pregnant Indigenous women, and so on. And one of the biggest areas of concern for Indigenous peoples is when dealing with the RCMP and the police. Okay, so now let's switch back to Canadian culture in general for a moment. In Canada, we do have self-protection laws and protection of property laws. The law here states that if you are in peaceable possession of your personal property, you can prevent a trespasser from taking it as long as you don't strike or cause bodily harm to the trespasser. Now, if that trespasser persists in taking the property, then that is considered to be assault without justification by the trespasser, and thereby you can now use no more force than necessary to get them to stop. In determining the amount of force necessary, it is kind of an after-the-fact thing, and a judge has to look at the nature of the property, the value both financial and sentimental of the property, the risk of harm to the property itself, and alternative options that could have been used. Now, there is a bit more leeway when a, the trespasser enters your house. You can use force as necessary to prevent them from getting in or to remove them, but you have to have reasonable grounds to believe that they were actually trespassing. You gave them an opportunity to withdraw. They did not withdraw. And the force can't be more than what is reasonable to remove a trespasser. Anything above what is necessary makes you criminally liable.
Okay, so with all of that in the back of your mind, let me tell you today's story. This is the murder of Colton Bushi. Colton Bushi was born October 31st, 1993, the youngest to mom Debbie Baptiste. And he was born in Montana. They are a Cree family, but I couldn't find the name of the nation or band that he originally lived on. But when he was about 18, him and his brothers, William and Jace, moved to North Battleford, Saskatchewan to the Red Pheasant First Nation. It was a Cree nation where Debbie had been from, so that's where her family was. Debbie soon followed to be close to her sons. Colton had aspirations to go to college, and he had heard that in Canada there were supports for Indigenous people to do that. They were not prepared for what Canada is actually like for Indigenous people. Colton was a good student in school and had really quite an amazing work ethic. He worked as a caterer for work camps and had gotten his qualification to be a forest firefighter. He also worked for neighbours in the reserve cutting lawns and cutting firewood. He was saving money to buy a car and to try to improve the living conditions for him and his family, which were subpar to say the least. The family had moved into a trailer on the reserve and in the winter they would all sleep in the living room together with an oven door open with blankets stuffed into the broken windows. But Colton had a great attitude and always told his mom, we're poor but we're happy. And he was also a very popular young man with a big group of friends and was happy to have so much family around him because he really enjoyed being social. He also had a little chihuahua named Chico whom he adored. On the morning of August 9th, 2016, Colton and his girlfriend, Kara Wootney, Eric Michance, and his girlfriend, Belinda Jackson, and Cassidy Whitstone, who is a male, not a female, just for clarity, uh, set out for the day of swim for a day of swimming at the Maymont River in Kara's 2003 dark gray Ford Escape. Around dinner time, Colton was late. Debbie had his dinner in the microwave waiting for him, and his older brother William put Chico into one of the bedrooms and shut the door, giving his kids a sign to shush with a smile, planning on telling Colton when he showed up that Chico had been waiting for so long for him that he ran off. Outside, they heard a convoy of vehicles driving along the dirt road leading to their trailer. Debbie looked out the window and saw that there were police vehicles. I think they're here for us, she said. A sinking feeling set in because police vehicles are not good news. Four officers approached the doorway of the trailer while William, Jace, and Debbie were standing, watching them approach. Two of the officers had their weapons out and were scanning around the property. One of the officers asked, Is Colton Bushy your son? When she said he was, he just said, He's deceased. Rather callously. Debbie fell to her knees and let out a wail to which one of the officers said to William, somebody take her inside. The four officers then walked into the house and with flashlights started searching all of the bedrooms. Chico scampered into the living room where Debbie was laying on the floor covering her face and rocking back and forth overcome with grief. An officer told her to stand up and grabbed her by the arm trying to force her to her feet. He told her to get herself together and she begged them to take her to her son so that she could prove that it wasn't him. They had to be mistaken, to which the officer said, Ma'am, have you been drinking? and leaned in to smell her breath. 
She said, no, she was waiting for Colton to get home for his dinner and it's in the microwave for him. The officers asked William and Jace if they had been drinking as well, to which they said no, and in an act that said a thousand words about assumptions, an officer walked to the microwave and opened it to confirm what she had said about Colton's dinner. Cash and Marie Baptiste, living nearby, saw the convoy and heard Debbie's wailing and came over and watched the officers search the house. Jace asked him why they were searching. They said they were looking for Cassidy Whitstone. There are a few details of events of August 9th that are up for debate, but most of the details are pretty straightforward and agreed to by all of those involved. So of the details that are debated, I'll give you both sides. I will be right back after these brief messages. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We know for sure that while swimming at Maymont River, the group of young 20-somethings were drinking. Granted, this is ill-advised behavior, especially for the driver, which we don't actually know who that was. It was not Kiara or Colton, though. We know that for sure. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't Belinda. So on the way home from the river, it was either Eric or Cassidy driving. And although there is debate about this, at some point that day, they drove into a farm owned by the Foey family where they tried to steal a vehicle and wound up instead breaking a rifle when they tried to use it to force their way into the vehicle. Now, they don't all admit to doing that, but it is listed in the information to obtain a warrant search. So this was around 5 p.m. that day. Then at 5.30, they got a flat tire and were now driving on just a rim when they pulled into the farm owned by Gerald Stanley and his wife, Lisa. Now, the reason for them pulling into the gravel driveway is what is highly disputed. But in the end, I don't think it really matters. According to this four surviving use, there were, they were there to get help for the tire. And according to the Stanley family, they were there to steal his pickup truck and his ATV. So Gerald and his son Sheldon were building a fence when they saw the SUV pull into the gravel driveway that connects the main road to their property. Lisa was on a riding lawnmower not far from where Gerald and Sheldon were. 
The SUV slowed down near a pickup truck that they had parked in the yard. They had a few vehicles there as well as a shed. Two guys, likely Eric and Cassidy, but not Colton, got out of the SUV and one of them got into the pickup truck and second later the ATV was also heard starting up. So Gerald yelled at them and both Sheldon and Gerald both ran towards where they are. Hearing the yelling, the two men jumped back into the SUV and started to try and take off. But they only had three tires. So they got stuck and tried to reverse, at which point Sheldon took the hammer that he was holding and smashed the driver's side of the front wheel windshield and Gerald kicked their taillight. They smashed on the gas to get the vehicle going, but it wound up crashing into Lisa's vehicle, at which point Eric and Cassidy got out and ran off on foot leaving Belinda, Kiara, and Colton behind in the back seat of the SUV. Colton then got out and back into the driver's seat and tried to take off, but the vehicle wouldn't budge because it was stuck on the vehicle that it had hit and only had three tires. Lisa was still mowing the lawn and had only started to hear a commotion at this point. Remember, she's on a riding lawnmower, so I believe that part. Sheldon ran into the house, he says, to get the keys to the pickup truck, and Gerald grabbed from his shed his Torqueval TT-33 semi-automatic handgun, and he says shot twice in the air to scare them. But Eric later told police that he believes he was shot at because he could hear the sound of a bullet passing by him as he ran. Gerald then took the gun and walked to the driver's side of the SUV and shot Colton Bushy directly behind the left ear at close range, killing him instantly. Kiera clambered out of the back seat and threw open the driver's side door where Colton tumbled out and lay face down on the grass. Kiera then ran to Lisa, who was now awake walking up, shouting, why did they kill Colton? To which Lisa said, that's what you get for trespassing on private property. She then told Sheldon to call 911 and went over to Kiera for what reason I don't know. Kiera punched her and knocked her down, but Sheldon told the woman to stop and they both backed off. Neither Lisa nor Sheldon witnessed the actual shooting, but Sheldon said when he emerged from the house, he had heard two quick shots and then the third, and then he saw his dad standing by the driver's side window of the SUV and looked sick, and Gerald told him the gun just went off. And thus became a hotly debated trial in which a lot of strong emotions and stereotypes and all kinds of ruckus happened. The first thing that happened was that the RCMP released a statement. And this statement said on August 10th, 2016 at 12.56 p.m., Bigger Detachment and RCMP Major Crime Unit North are currently investigating an incident that occurred yesterday at approximately 5.30 p.m., in the RM of Glenside in the Bigger Detachment area. Initial investigation has revealed five individuals entered onto private property by vehicle in the rural area and were confronted by property owners who were outside and witnessed their arrival. The occupants of the vehicle were not known to the property owners. A verbal exchange occurred in an attempt to get the vehicle to leave the yard and ultimately a firearm was discharged, striking an occupant in the vehicle. Emergency services were contacted and upon arrival, one adult male who arrived in vehicle was suffering from an apparent gunshot wound and was declared deceased at the scene. An autopsy will be conducted later this week to confirm the deceased's identity. One male associated to the property was arrested by police at the scene without incident. 
three occupants from the vehicle, including two females, one being a youth and one adult male, were taken taken into custody as part of a related theft investigation. Another male youth is being sought. His identity is still being confirmed at this time. The investigation into the events leading up to the arrival of the vehicle to the yard, the circumstances involving the death, and the actions following remain under investigation. No charges have been laid at this time. We are in the early stages of this complex investigation. Further details will be released when information becomes available. Immediately, the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations Chief Bobby Cameron responded to the media with, quote, The RCMP news relief kind of leads readers to believe that a crime was about to be committed and therefore deserved retaliation that obviously resulted in the tragedy of a young man. People can draw all kinds of conclusions out of it. They can say any type of crime was about to happen. It is deeply concerning. We would get all sides of the story before actually sending something out. In some detachments, they have the decency to call the local chief and council and say, well, here's what we heard on this side. Chief Bobby Cameron accused the RCMP of releasing just enough prejudicial information for the average reader to draw their own conclusions that the shooting was somehow justified. And it was this media release that they felt helped spur racial comments posted on the Facebook group Saskatchewan Farmers Group, such as, too bad the kid died, but he got what he deserved, and how many of us work on or near reserves and are getting fed up with the race card being used every time someone gets caught breaking the law. The criminal code is there to protect the criminals, and there's a growing wave of hardworking people who are sick of being victims of crime without real justice. And someone that I won't name, but you might be able to figure it out, put up a GoFundMe page to help the Stanley family. It was quickly removed. And it said, and I quote, These dirty Indians off the res stopped in at our farm and tried to steal our vehicles. And then, and when they couldn't, they vandalized it. After our farm pit stop, they carried on to the Jerry's where things got out of hand. Then on August 12th, the CBC ran a news story with the title, Deadly Shooting Near Bigger Saskatchewan Sparks Debate Over the Right to Defend. 24 complaints piled in about the article stating that it was wrong of CBC News to publish this article. It fed into into a racist argument about Indigenous peoples that saw Mr. Bushi as a menace. Others said it was seen as an endorsement of the use of violence by some readers, and another said that they are mistakenly linked linking property rights to Bushi's death. The CBC ombudsman agreed and made them revise the article. Gerald Stanley was taken into custody, arrested, and charged with second-degree murder. On August 19th, with a lot of protesters chanting justice for Colton, he was quickly escorted to an armed vehicle after being released on $10,000 bail. But Gerald had also had a lot of supporters feeling that protecting your property was, was of utmost concern and that we needed to have more relaxed laws around the use of deadly force. That morning, the Baptiste family met with the RCMP and their lawyers, Chris Murphy, that the family had hired to represent their interests and to hold the police and prosecutors accountable. What they wanted was equal justice. They were told by the RCMP that everything they could was being done and they would have to trust them, which is a hard thing for any Indigenous family to do. And what they discovered was that the RCMP made a couple of bad errors in judgment during their investigation. The biggest being that despite knowing that rain was coming, 
did not cover the SUV where Colton was shot. And so that night it poured rain and all of the blood spatter evidence was lost. The Stanleys were able to come to the police station in their own vehicle and were questioned together, not separately. And for some reason, they took their sweet time getting the search warrant to search the Stanleys property. So when the trial started on January 30th, 2018, Saskatchewan was charged up and ready to rumble on both sides. So this was the Court of Queen's Bench in Battleford, overseen by Justice Martel Popskill. Gerald was defended by Scott Spencer, and the trials here allow preemptory jury challenges. So you can reject a certain number of potential jurors without even asking them a question. 750 people were called for jury duty, but only 204 showed up. Five of them appeared to be First Nations and were automatically challenged by the defense. So they were left with an all-white jury. From the very beginning, Scott Spencer was clear that there was no intent to kill Colton, so the family and onlookers were pretty prepared that second degree was going to go out the window. But manslaughter was expected because at the time, Saskatchewan was under the 2009 Trespass to Property Act, which provided fines to those that entered private land without consent, and it could only be considered trespass automatically if the land was enclosed with a fence. The Stanley Farm was not, and unless or until notice is given of trespassing, it isn't trespassing. So you can defend your land from trespass, but this wasn't under the legal definition of trespass because the land was not enclosed. Gerald and Sheldon themselves both agree that they never said, get off our land, and never called 911 until after Colton was shot. But remember, when you have reasonable belief that your land is being entered on for unlawful purposes, that is, to steal, then you can defend your property by reasonable force. So Spencer didn't go with trespass laws, and he didn't go with any self-defense arguments either. Instead, he argued that this case is about what can go terribly wrong when you create a situation which is the nature of a home invasion, and it alleged that the group of five had created a panic situation, and under that it was reasonable for him to have fired the two warning shots because Gerald believed they were in fact in the act of theft of personal property. So he linked the trespass laws to the fear of violent invasion. He argued that while the shooting was not justified in self-defense, there is a self-defense factor based on the reasonableness of what you can do to protect yourself in those circumstances. And it's not about property, it's about injury. That was the fear. So he characterized the five as essentially intruders. Quote, you have to view it from Jerry Stanley's perspective. What he thought when he was faced with this sudden intrusion, the fear of the unknown. According to Spencer, a self-defense circumstances did not give rise to the defense of property, but rather to accident thereby separating the warning shots to the deadly shot that killed Colton, and that, he said, was a result of something called hang fire. The casing from the gun had an unusual bulge in it, thereby creating a long delay between the pulling of the trigger, which would have been assumed to be jammed, and then the releasing of the bullet. The gun itself was constructed in 1947 with ammunition he had been he had laying around from 1953 and stored in an unheated shed. However, experts were never able to recreate this hang fire and scientific studies show that hang fires last on average one quarter of a second. 
for Colton to have been accidentally shot by hangfire in the head at close range, the hangfire would have had to have lasted a minimum of about three full seconds. The prosecution didn't have a lot to go on. After all, the evidence was washed away in the rain. So Justice Popschool gave the following charge to the all-white jury. You must not find Gerald Stanley guilty unless you are sure he's guilty. Even if you believe that Mr. Stanley is probably guilty or likely guilty, that is not sufficient. In those circumstances, you must give the benefit of the doubt to Mr. Stanley and find him not guilty because the Crown has failed to satisfy you of his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. If you have a reasonable doubt about Mr. Stanley's guilt arising from the evidence, the absence of the evidence or the credibility or reliability of one or more of the witnesses, then you must find him not guilty. In short, the presumption of innocence applies at the beginning and continues throughout the trial, unless you are satisfied after considering the whole of the evidence that the Crown has displaced the presumption of innocence by proof of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So with those instructions, on February 9th, 2018, Gerald Stanley was acquitted. The Crown refused to appeal, and Gerald Stanley was free to go. The next day, there were rallies all over Canada to support the Bushy family and to pr- protest the verdict to no avail. On February 11th, Debbie Baptiste and her niece Jade and brother Alvin traveled to Ottawa to meet with the public safety minister to advocate. They wanted an end put to peremptory challenges and jury selections and let them know about her concerns about how she had been treated. And in March 2021, the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police released two reports on the conduct of the RCMP during the case. One of the reports stemmed from a complaint filed by the Bushy family. The reports mostly cleared the RCMP of any wrongdoing, of course, but he did concede that they had messed up with how Debbie was treated and by not covering up the vehicle, but also concluded that the Saskatchewan's RCMP press releases were factually accurate, but disproportionately focused on the allegations of theft. And that implied that Colton's death was somehow deserved and contributed to racial tensions. And RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lukey committed to fixing the issues raised by measures such as new operational guidance, changes to the force's operational manual, and increased cultural awareness training. And that was the murder of Colton Bushy. I think this is a good one to talk about with your coworkers, assuming they they are true crime fans and not just some random in the elevator, or your friends, you know, to get their thoughts. So share the episode with someone you, you want to talk about it with. And if you have some thoughts, post them on Instagram or Facebook to get the conversation going. I will put one of my usual episode posts and you can comment directly on that. I love hearing your thoughts on cases. And of course, it's a great way to share how much you love the podcast with others and other marketing, blah, blah, blah. I will be back next week with another case. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.